coming back. I'm talking live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. If someone daily wrote or tweeted about me and this show, I would read everything about it. This is the press box. Would you feel box? disrespected though? Yeah. Oh yeah, depends on, depends on who it is. Right. With Grady and Bischoff. Hold on, Jared's disappointed in you. We good? All right, we're good. Hey, Tyler, Garrett, Tyler back from Reno. Can't you see the light when the mic's on? Eh, I never know. <laughs> I have Jared take the mic down so often to cough that uh, usually I don't know if I'm on or not, so it doesn't really matter. Back from Reno. Snowing? I'm, no, it never actually snowed while I was there, but it was never warm enough to melt the snow, so the snow was just everywhere all the time. All right. Got off on time on the airplane. Yeah. What? Uh, by the way, I have a theory. The smaller the airport, the worse TSA pre-check is. Okay. I could see that. The longest I've that. waited in the TSA pre-check line yeah. has been in the Reno airport and the Jackson, Mississippi airport. Okay. I could see that. Ooh. The Branson, Missouri airport. You might be on to something. <laughs> yeah. It's the longest I've waited. The shortest has been like Houston and Vegas. It's just you walk in, even if there's a line. They you go through fast. through it. Yeah, you go through fast. But Jackson, Mississippi, and Reno? Like, what's going on here? I should have just gotten the regular line. Vegas and Denver are the only places I've ever, only airports I've ever been in where the TSA guy goes, hey, you're standing in people's way. You need to be in this line to, like, the random passenger who's looking around like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> no, I, uh, I agree with you. I think Vegas is good, though. It is. It is. Never go had right an issue with it. But yeah. you go to a small airport, and they're like, we don't know what this is. A lot of people have TSA pre now. Well, why wouldn't you? If ah, you, if you fly right. more than like yeah. twice a year, yeah. it's we paid $90 and have it for five years. Yeah. It's a great deal. I think I've had mine for 20, and they never asked me to renew. <laughs> it's just, I don't think I've ever renewed. It's just grandfather. I think in. I just have it. You were the first TSA yes, pre-check. Exactly. like, all right, you don't <laughs> have to pay. Keep coming. Every time I my, uh Southwest picture comes up or the uh, the boarding pass just says TSA pre. I'm like, all right. I thought after seven years I'd have to renew. I've just tried to imagine like what haircut you had. <laughs> like they're just like I mean, it was, I guess it was kinda? more than seven, but it wasn't twenty. But it was more than seven. But I don't think I've ever given people more money. It was like eighty or ninety bucks, right? You have some card somewhere that they're just taking money from every year that you don't. That's know probably about. it. That's probably it. <laughs> well, I've got a lot of those. The first bite. Do the Raiders need to go into rebuild mode? Yes. Um, okay, I agree, yes. But I also am adamant in saying the owner would not allow it. Okay, so let's start there. Well, that's dumb. Why would Mark Davis be opposed to his team going into a rebuild? I do a rebuild on Madden. <laughs> <laughs> I think... When they made the playoffs two years ago, not this last year, and he hired Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, his view was, and they convinced him that they they could win now, get Devontae Adams, get Chandler Jones, make all these moves, and they could win now. It didn't happen. They went six and eleven. I just don't think he'd be at the place. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. That he'd be a place to admit that six and eleven means they need to tear everything down. I think he thinks they're closer than they probably are, which means if they came to him and said, "Hey, we need to just blow this thing up. We need to start from scratch," 
That's not what he had in mind when he hired these two dudes. So, okay. Mark Davis, do you think he wants his team? What's more important? Does he want his team to win the Super Bowl? Or does he want his team to be relevant? Well, I think ultimately he wants to win a Super Bowl, but I know where you're going with that, and I still think in terms of relevancy, in terms of breaking down, because you and I thought they should have broken it down last year. We right. didn't, we thought they should have rebuilt from the very beginning with Ziggler and McDaniels. Ultimately, I think he wants to win a Super Bowl, and I think he believes that if they do win a Super Bowl, they'll be relevant. But he wants, But I believe he wants to be a 10-win team. More than he wants to win the Super Bowl. Oh man, I don't. I don't think so. Like obviously, he wants to win the Super Bowl, but that's not his real goal. His real goal is to just have a relevant team. His real goal uh, is just let's not be a four-win team. Let's not be a bad team. He just wants to have a competitive team that has a chance to go to the playoffs. Okay. He doesn't care that much about going to the Super Bowl. Oh man, I think he wants to win it. And talking to him, do you think? Okay, let's say they win the Super Bowl next year. They win the Super Bowl next season. You don't think he'd take a trade-off of winning the Super Bowl and then two or three bad years? Well, That's he, the wrong way to look at it. you got to do it in reverse. That's the, the rebuild is, if you came to Mark Davis and said, listen, we can win the Super Bowl in 2026, but you are your team is going to be terrible for the next two or three years, or we're going to win nine or ten games for the next four seasons, no chance at a Super Bowl, but we're going to be in the playoffs. We're going to get bounced in the first round. Three, or, three out of the next four years. The way he operates, he prefers that option to I, bad for three years, win the Super man, Bowl in I think, 26. I think his entire goal is to win the Super Bowl. And that's all he cares He's about. not awful. doing it right. He's well, awful at his I mean, his maybe job. he's not doing it right. That's just my opinion. Because every decision he's made has been about how do we become a 9 or 10 win team. Everything they do has been how are we just good enough to get to the postseason. If they want to win the Super Bowl, they need to be bad. They need to rebuild. They need to... I I agree with all that. I just don't think he would be up for that. Right. But then his goal is not to win a Super Bowl. His goal is to be a 10-win team. His goal is to be how I are I don't think he relevant. thinks that. Maybe I yeah. should put it this way. I don't think he thinks I, that yeah, way. Yeah, which is wrong. It's completely wrong for him to think, oh, we can just uh, go from 6 to, to 9 or 10 and we can go on the Eli Manning New York Giants run. Like that, if that's what he thinks is possible, he's wrong. And if he thinks, oh, we just need to get a rookie quarterback in here and we'll catch Patrick Mahomes next year, he's also wrong. If here's here's what the Raiders should be doing. They should target a year. I don't know what year you want. It can be 2026. Hell, it could probably be 2024. But they should target a year and say, that's the year we're gonna be a Super Bowl contender. And then everything they do from now to that point should be about that season. So if they said, hey, we're going to be a Super Bowl contender in 2025, that means your win-loss record this year doesn't matter, your win-loss record in 2024 doesn't matter, and every roster move you make should be about winning the Super Bowl in 2025. But they're not going to do that because I agree with your assessment on Mark Davis. He wants to have as good of a team as possible right now. The problem is what's possible for the Raiders is a nine or ten win team, and so yeah, I agree with all that. I just, I just think his mindset is differently. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, I just think he thinks a different way, and I think he's completely wrong. And I think the Raiders are going to be stuck in this perpetual. 
hey, we max out as a nine or 10 win team who can't actually win the Super Bowl. And then we miss the playoffs every single year unless they land a franchise quarterback, right? If they trade up and get CJ Stroud and that guy's just a superstar or something like that, then then your team can be really good because you got it. But until then, they're never going to have an actual high enough draft pick to land that type of quarterback. And they're never going to actually be good with, you know, the stopgap type quarterback that or the Derek Carr type quarterback. And they're going to be in this purgatory realm of never truly contending, but also never committing to being bad to get the high draft picks that you need because they, they need a franchise quarterback. That's what they need. If they're going to ever win it, well, not ever, but if they're going to win a Super Bowl in the AFC in the next five years or 10 years, honestly, they need a franchise quarterback that they can look at and say, oh, he's close to Mahomes. He Just start with Trevor Lawrence and Herbert. Oh, he's close to Lawrence and Herbert. And if they get one of those and he's on a rookie contract, then they have a chance. But to get one of those, you need to be bad. You need to rebuild. You can't say, hey, let's go win eight games, boys. It's not going to do you any good. So, Ed, let me ask you a question. In your honest opinion, in talking to Mark Davis, if Dave Ziegler walked into his office and said exactly what Tyler just said, we need to be targeting 2025, he would go, get out. You need to be putting the best team on the field. I'm, I think that if you said he'd win a Super Bowl in, what would that be, two years? Yeah. Three years, whatever, that he would take that. He wants, I mean, I, I just think he always talks about that. That's all he talks about is winning Super Bowls. That's all he talks about. And you're you're right. It might be reverse thinking in terms of what he should be doing. But I think he would want it in a way that they don't have to rebuild. Like, I, I don't think he hired these guys to rebuild. In his mind, I'm trying to get into his mind. Well, I mean, everybody wants that. Everybody wants to just, hey, how good were we this year? Where we're going to be better next year and we're going to win the Super Bowl. But sure. Th- that's, but it's not. It's, well, it's not realistic. Right. Like, you've got to do, like. Who has done that? Tampa Bay did it because Tampa went and got Tom Brady and had a magical season, right? Like the Rams did it when they went and got Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford. But the Rams already had a really good roster in Mm -hmm. place. And Tampa Bay had a decent defense. And then they got Brady and got a bunch of other weapons and ended up with a really good team. They they were a wildcard team the the year they won the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, And then they won the division and kind of sucked uh, in the playoffs. But it's like it's possible. To win it that way, but it's very, very unlikely to win it that way. The more likely outcome is you need a franchise quarterback and you need one that's not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, who's 40 something. You need it to be CJ Stroud. Or if you're planning for, you know, 2025 or something, Caleb Williams or something like you need it to be a young franchise quarterback that you pay $7 million and you can make the rest of the roster really good. While that quarterback is at least above average, if not a star. What do you think would be the fact like you've, you kind of highlighted the two methods of either tank or rebuild or pull a Rams and just don't have a first round pick for the next 15 years. Has anyone presented that idea to Mark Davis? Like, we're gonna, just start we're trade every first round pick. We're like never going to have did. a first, yeah, like the Rams did. They don't have a first round pick for. I don't and know it, how long. it worked out great and this they year. Their, and they won their title last year. They've got their ring. If uh, if the Rams, what did they do against the Bucks? Uh, Cooper Cup had that like fifty yard catch to get him in field goal range to win that game against the Bucks last year. If that's not a completion and the Bucks win that game, how big of a failure do we view the Rams right now? They wouldn't have a Super Bowl, and they and would, then this year they would have been they just would, a disaster. Were awful, and it would have been they went all in 
didn't get the Super Bowl and now they're paying the price for right. it. Right. Right. So it's you can do that, but I, I think that's harder than just straight up rebuilding. I, hell, that's hard. That might be harder than what the Raiders are, have been trying to do for like the last decade. Is let's let's not even draft anybody. Let's trade for any star player that becomes available. I that's really hard to do. They're because, like the Knights. Yeah, exactly. It's not working well for them either because of injuries. But that's really hard to do. So I I just I don't think the Raiders are doing what's in their best interest to win a Super Bowl. Now, if your goal and here's the thing, if your goal is to let's be relevant and competitive, if your goal is hey, let's just be a playoff contender because we want to make sure that our fans have something to care about for an entire season or whatever. That's fine. You don't have to be Super Bowl or bust as a as a goal. That doesn't have to be your ownership goal. But if it is, they are not doing what they should be doing to put themselves in the best position because they're not winning the 2023 Super Bowl or the, whatever, the 2024 Super right. Bowl. They're not winning next year's Super Bowl. It's, just, it's not happening. So what can you do to win the 2025 or the 2026 Super Bowl? That should be their objective, and I don't feel like it is. I don't think it's their objective either. Yeah. So they probably won't be terrible, but they won't be good next year and the following year. We said before Giannis, they'll be the Milwaukee Bucks. Always picking, always in purgatory, like you said. Might be. Always picking the middle round. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV basketball fights for last place tonight against White. 38-33. Keyshawn Gilbert quickly the other way. And Keyshawn trying to go to the basket, just lost the ball. Now Colomario able to run down the lane for a dunk, and Keyshawn Gilbert just absolutely lost the basketball, and that turns into a dunk the other way, 40-33. to 33. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV takes on Wyoming tonight. A battle for last place. Both teams are 1-6. and six. In Mountain West play, tied for the last spot, so the loser will be in last place all alone. Ken Palm does project an eight-point UNLV win over Wyoming, so Ken Palm confident in UNLV yeah. not being Ken in last Palm place. has obviously watched Wyoming, <laughs> who is not good. Wyoming They're this year. Good. I'll give you some numbers. Can a basketball game end in a tie? Uh, Wyoming is 6-13 and 13 on the season. They still do not have Graham E.K., who is their best player, who has not. I don't think he's played the entire season. No, he's not. Uh, Wyoming is 108th in offense efficiency, 237th in defensive efficiency. Maybe one possible problem. They shoot a lot of threes, and they're slightly above average at making them. Uh, UNLV, their defensive scheme allows a lot of threes, so that might be a bit of an issue. But Wyoming's defense is bad at almost everything. Uh, they do rebound pretty well on the defensive end, and they don't foul a lot, but they give up layups. They give up a high percentage of field goals. They give up uh, a good chunk of threes uh, as well. So they're not very good. They don't force any turnovers either. They're not very good defensively, specifically. Um, big picture question on this. Does this game mean much? I mean, if you don't want to be in last place alone, it means a lot, right? I mean, they're not going to look. They've played them outside. They played themselves outside of an at-large berth, right? So nothing means anything really until you get to the conference tournament. You try to get as high as you can. You try to get three and three days instead of four and four days. You try to win as many as you can to get in that realm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it means a lot to the coaches and the kids that you don't want to you don't want to keep losing games. You want to get back on a something that feels good or you feel good about yourself. So, in the big picture, it means very little. But I think in the 
in the locker room and to the coaches and the players, it means a lot. So Mountain West tournament seeding wise right now, the five seed, which is the last seed to get a buy uh, is New Mexico is five and three. UNLV is one and six. So they'd have a long way to go to catch New Mexico to get to the five seed and get a buy. Almost certainly UNLV is going to end up having to win four games in four days. It's just a matter of, are they the six through the 11 seed? Which one of those seeds do they end up with? Um, this game, I, I think it's not necessarily just this game, but the rest of the season. But this game, I think it's more about evaluating what is Kevin Kruger as a head coach and what is Kevin Kruger as not an in-game adjuster, but an in-season adjuster. Because we've talked a lot on this show about how Kevin Kruger has not changed his defensive scheme, what he hasn't done for this team as they go from 10 and 0 to then losing uh, seven of nine. He said now after the Fresno state loss, and then he said it again yesterday to Steve Cofield and Mike Kamala that they're going to make changes. What are those changes? How effective are they? And is there evidence here? Is there a sign in this game and potentially the rest of the season that Kevin Kruger can make effective in-season adjustments, that Kevin Kruger can build a team with a certain identity, and when that identity doesn't work, can he pivot to something else that does work? Obviously, well, he's, see. obviously he's late, right? They, you lose seven of nine, you didn't do it in time, but can he do it now? Can he make some sort of adjustment, some sort of pivot with the way this team plays that will change the trajectory of the rest of the season. And if he does, right, even if it doesn't end in an NCAA tournament bid, even if they're not getting a large, even if it just ends with, hey, they're bouncing the quarterfinals. But if they play better, if they start ripping off some wins here because of an adjustment Kruger makes, that's a great sign for Kruger's tenure as UNLV's head coach. If they don't make a significant change, like we've seen already, or if they make a change and it just doesn't, lead to any more wins, then that's a bad sign for Kevin Kruger and the rest of his UNLV tenure. Uh, so I think that's where sort of the importance comes from is evaluating what Kevin Kruger can do in season to change a team. Well, we'll see. I mean, he's, he has a lot of games left to prove he can do it. Right. And I think Gramala tweeted yesterday that it was specifically was the defense is going to see changes. Right. Um, which it has to, given what they've done in Mountain West play and how easily people have scored on them in Mountain West play uh, and their numbers there. So, uh, yeah, he, this is a great opportunity, uh, like you said, to see in-season adjustments for him and to see if they can turn this thing around. Um, we thought it began with Fresno State. Uh, I don't want to say the easy part of the schedule. They get Reno on Saturday, and Reno's playing pretty well. But they're not playing – I don't think they're playing top, top two or three teams here for a while. No. So there's a chance that, you know, they get some wins and the in-season adjustments work and they feel good about themselves. I mean, look – like you said, it's going to be hard to get up to the fifth seed. You have to win four in four days. That's really hard to do. Right. I mean, that's not impossible, but it's really, really hard to do. To be completely honest, if UNLV can make the semis of the Mountain West tournament, it might be a success because they have Especially been, if they have to win four in four days. They haven't been to the semis in like a decade. Like, it's not just they haven't been in the NCAA tournament or they haven't won the Mountain West tournament. They haven't even made the semis. And I'd have to go back and double check, but it's been like a decade since they've been to the semifinals of a tournament on their home floor every single March. Haven't been to the semis. So 
if they can just find themselves in a position where they win two games in the Mountain West tournament, let alone three or four, that might we might look back and say, oh, look at that. Turned it around. Had a couple wins. Got hot, hot in March. I'm still, to, to be honest, I'm still stunned at how bad they are in conference play. They're, they're ninth in the Mountain West in defensive efficiency. Ninth. They're, they're still the number one turnover defense in the conference, but they're the worst uh, defensive rebounding team in the conference. They're the worst three-point defense in the conference. They're one of the, th- I think, the third worst two-point defense in the conference. This team was awesome defensively, and I know the schedule was weak. I criticized it plenty, but I'm stunned at how far it fell. I'm stunned that they went from, oh, like, could this be a top 25 defense? This is probably a top 50 defense for sure to, oh, my God, they can't guard Fresno State. I'm genuinely stunned at how far it fell. And it wasn't just because of Parquet. No. Oh, no. not They got lit up by Fresno State. Right. Like the worst, or they are the worst offense in the Mountain West still. They got torched by an awful, awful team with Parquet back. I genuinely stunned. I thought there would be a drop-off because the non-conference schedule wasn't that good and the Mountain West looked really good coming into conference play. So it's like, yeah, they, they're not going to rip through the conference schedule at a 10-1 and record or whatever it would have been. But for them to go from, hey, could this be, you know, the second or third best defense in the conference to ninth. That's that's stunning how bad that fall is. That, that's that's kind of an unbelievable fall for UNLV to go from that good to that bad. Like uh, offensively, they're ninth in offensive efficiency. That's not that surprising. I thought they'd be better, but that's not too stunning because we never thought they were going to be good offensively. No. Right? That was the big question. That was that was who was going to score. Right. So if you had told me at this point, ah, they're ninth in offensive efficiency, I was like, eh, it's not good, but kind of expected. Ninth in defensive efficiency? If they would have followed their non-conference with the same defense, yeah. then ninth in offensive efficiency might be good enough. Right. You'd be okay, right? You wouldn't You'd, be one and six. Yeah. You wouldn't be six and one either, but you'd be, you know, three and four, four right. and three, something like that. And we'd still be talking, all right, they got a shot at the NCAA tournament, but they need to win, you know, seven or eight in a row here to really do it. But I, I don't know how the defense got this bad. Like it's it genuinely went from hey they're really good to one of the worst in the conference, which is stunning. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins ESPN Las Vegas. Subscribe to the Distraction, a multitude production for Defector. Listen to the Distraction wherever you get your podcasts. He is adorned in flannel and still doesn't have a building super. He eats soup cooked on a hot plate. David Roth from Defector is here to tell us about his uninstalled appliances. Good morning, David. You know, it's early in Jared's career to say that he's created his masterpiece. But that is one of the most searing and honest assessments of my life that I could possibly have imagined. Jared, I'm in your debt. Thank you, dude. Well, the best part is I heard him talking to you before, and he called that a rough draft, so there might be more coming. Well, what he was saying, he's like, you know, it's just kind of, I think what he was thinking, and I understand this, is that that is a very strange combination of words for your voiceover guy to have to read. Because <laughs> usually they're just like, it's on at like 7 p.m. Like, you know, and that in this case, they're sort of like, he's very sad, like cup of noodles every night. Like, that's not the usual voiceover stuff that you would have to record. So how's the dishwasher? Dishwasher's not doing anything. Okay. Great question. Uh, the... I think it's still 
going to happen, but it's gotten slower with Norbert, and the building has transitioned into gas repair mode. So we're for sure eating off that hot plate. And uh, I think the first order of business is going to be there's apparently sometime either today or tomorrow they're going to come up and check on it. And that will hopefully tick a box. And then I just have to wait for them to get done doing it in every other apartment in our 16 story building. So I don't know. Ask me in a few months how it's going. (laughs) I've said this before. Your wife must be a saint. She and I have we've definitely got some like team spirit going right now. I don't know where we'll be in a little bit, but right now we're still trying to figure out how to make dinner most nights. And so like the first five minutes of us eating it are just being like, that's pretty good. Like, I think, you know, like, or, you know, you'd never know that it was cooked on something that looks like the cheapest possible, like DJ turntable set, (laughs) which is basically what our, our hot plate looks like. So yeah, she's, she's hanging in. I'm hanging in. Uh, I think we're going to be pretty grouchy by like later in February, but we're getting out of town for a week next week. Somebody else is going to cook all our meals. That'll be nice. And uh, I don't know. Maybe when we come back, there'll be ahead of schedule. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but we'll see. Who wins in a fight, Steven Adams or Shannon Sharp? It's Steven Adams in a fight against almost any person or animal. I still wonder about that because I felt like, uh, especially Skip, but because Shannon is, is kind of seems like a little bit more of an authentic human being, like, Skip Bayless seems like something that should be like skittering around in a um, like a horror movie sort of like he just doesn't quite look like a real guy to me. That situation felt like uh, like a WWE work to me for a while until Steven Adams got involved, and that was like the sort of thing where I feel like if if Shannon Sharp wants to have a few drinks and, and yell at John Moran at a basketball game, that's fine. You know, he paid for that. There was something about how. Uh, things just stop being a joke once an unhappy Stephen Adams enters the equation that I found really clarifying and really uh, bracing. Like I've, I've watched the footage a bunch of times. Why Stephen Adams is taking his hair down, which is not, I think, what you ordinarily do before you fight somebody, I don't know. But I'm not going to give him tips on how to be Stephen Adams. I'm just going to appreciate him while he's here. I wonder sometimes if John Morant's dad is too involved. Yes. I, mean, I think John Morant seems like about the most successful that you can be with the dad that goofy. Yeah. That like, I mean, with all due respect to LaMelo Ball, who's having a very good career in an extremely bad circumstance in Charlotte. I think that there's an, like, even with uh, the same thing with like sort of with show business, that like a dad that is that hyper visible and uh, dedicated to content creation is sooner or later going to impact your career in a negative way. Uh, did you, I assume you saw the story about Gio Reyna, Greg Berhalter and U S soccer. Yeah. I've been trying to like have my coworkers make sense of it for me because I don't understand a lot of the internal politics of soccer and my coworkers who all follow soccer are all like they're EPL guys. And so the internal gossip of our mediocre national team, they're kind of like, all right, I'll explain it to you, but don't ask me about this again because I don't find it interesting. And then they sort of lay it all out. The, there's something about that that felt really sports parenty to me, too. That, like, if that was happening on, like, a cheerleading team in the Dallas suburbs, you'd have to change the names and the pronouns, but otherwise it would be exactly the same, dynamics-wise. <laughs> uh, we have multiple sports parents that, like you said, you'd expect to find on some 12-year-old's baseball team. But uh, no, in fact, it's one of the best basketball players in the world and one of the best American soccer players in the world whose parents are out of control. And that's the other thing, too, is that I don't know what, you know, T. Morant was up to before his son, you know, got bit by the Spider-Man spider and became John Morant. (laughs) 
but like I know what Gio Reyna's dad did because he was on the national team when I was a kid. Like that's he's a legend. Like so, this isn't the sort of thing where it's like a bored, like a guy that like runs a car dealership and he's got too much invested in like Skyler's possibility of going to a Division One college. Like he already knows all this stuff. He's had an elite career himself, and his wife was a national team player too. So at some point, you have to wonder. Like maybe maybe he should get a car dealership. Like just some other thing to think about because it doesn't seem like it's working for anybody. It's even better. Gio Reyna's dad is the current. I think his title is GM of the Austin MLS team. Like he's yeah. in the front office of a pro soccer team right now. So of the names of American soccer players from my youth, like Claudio Reyna was one of like three that I could tell you. There was like Alexi Lalas, and then I'm going to start naming women's players. Like he was a big <laughs> star. So the idea that this, well, whatever. I mean, I don't know. If I were on that Austin MLS team, I'd probably be like, why are you uh, sending so many texts? Shouldn't you be <laughs> working on a contract or something? Our guy, Eric Winaldo had to be in your group. There you go. Yes, that's another one. And he's on, Winaldo's on TV now too, right? Yeah, he's everywhere. Twitter, yeah, on all the Twitter, yeah. Twitter. He he's coached everywhere. the minor league soccer team here for two years. That's always I am always impressed when guys that are I think of as like brand name sports guys are willing to do that because I feel like that's that's hard work. The little uh, like the small college basketball games that I used to go to in New York, very it's like the NEC conference. They're like the team that plays in the play-in game against you know either an HBCU <laughs> or some team that won the Ohio Valley Conference with thirteen wins. It's not great basketball, but it is D1. Randomly, Danielle Marshall was the coach of a team in that conference for a while, and this says something about me that I'm starstruck by, like, a 45-year-old Danielle Marshall. But there's a part of me that, like, I know that guy made, like, $150 million playing basketball. He doesn't need to be on, like, the Central Connecticut State University campus, like, (laughs) making players run suicides. So, like, that's cool. It means he cares about basketball more than I, I guess, thought he did. What do you make of the Western Conference standings right now? Walk me through it. Because right now, we basically, it's like the Nugs are on top. But then, like, the Sacramento Kings right. are extremely close to the top, right? The third. It's, King, yeah. it's, it's Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Kings, Pelicans are the top four right now. Like That's up. fantastic. And then, oh, yeah, then you got the Mavs. So there's, part of it makes some sense. I mean, I think the Nugs are really good. I watched the Kings absolutely pants the Grizzlies last night. And that was, some of it was a fluke. Like, I don't think they missed a three-pointer in the first quarter or they were like 12 for 13 or something crazy like that. And sometimes that happens. But I have a, my coworker, Patrick Redford, at Defector, is a Sacramento native and a Sacramento Kings fan. Like, in the way that a person can make it to 30 while being a Sacramento Kings fan. <laughs> and he posted for accountability that if the Kings made the playoffs this year, he would eat a raw onion like an apple. <laughs> Might as well do it. <laughs> oh, you're and guy. You, should you do can it like now. go to the hospital for doing that. Like it's definitely not a good idea. Uh, have you seen the Kings and their light the beam chant? Yes, I love it. It's phenomenal. I mean, I remember I feel like this is the sort of thing that because they were so bad for so long, that there's like a whole generation or something like a generation that doesn't remember how incredibly lit that arena is when the team yeah. is good. But when I was in like college, just out of college, like the Chris Webber, Rick Adelman teams, it was like the place you didn't want to play in the NBA. It was wild. And they were, it's in the same way that it is, like, I mean, it was like this yesterday night, that like on a Monday night in January, they are like making like a Western Conference finals level of noise. 
And I think that's cool. Like, the NBA is definitely better when that's happening in it. I still don't know, like, how exactly they're doing it beyond really good shooting, but, like, maybe you don't need to overcomplicate it there. The thing that's been fascinating to me about the Western Conference, because, like, the... I know the Jazz are, like, falling off the pace. The Thunder are good enough that I think they're going to wind up, like, not just, like, in the play-in, but, like, possibly in the playoffs because it's really, like, congested down there. And that seems like a team that, if you had asked me to bet a dollar on the Thunder ever being good, I don't know that I would have done it. <laughs> like, I just, it they seems like that was an asset accumulation exercise, but, like, it's all happening now. The Thunder right now are, well, they're 11th. They're right outside, but they're a total of one game out of the sixth seed. Right. They have the same record as the Warriors, which is uh, the sort of thing that maybe if I were a Warriors fan, I would be upset about a little bit. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, that whole bottom of it is like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point, it looks like the Blazers are the last team out. But I don't think, I mean, I have a hard time looking at the Lakers or, you know, whatever, my brief assessment of Rui Hachimura and thinking that they've got the momentum to quite go all the way. But, uh, like, all the way to the actual playoffs. But, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, I think as much fun as the Jazz thing was, I think them being sellers is probably the right move for them. I would love to see the Thunder not, they're not going to buy, buy. Like, I think that, like, they're likelier to try to, like, tank out and stuff, but they have Chet Holmgren coming next year. They don't need to, like, blow this up, trade shy, and try to get, like, the number one overall pick again. Like, that's starting to become a team somehow. And uh, I'm always, this is, like, the most fun part of being a basketball fan is when your team is just starting to get there like that. And, I, you know, I don't, I'm happy to see it sort of happening uh, before our eyes. Uh, well, he is David Roth from Defector. Good luck with your dinners on the hot plates, and I'm glad you have another problem to jump in front of the dishwasher. Yeah, I was uh, I was concerned that we were going to have to spend the entire bit talking about sports in the future, but it looks like we got another few months of talking about my hideous life. You say months, I think it's at least another year. Thanks, David. It might have be another year. Thanks, have guys. Trip, have a good one. Bye. There's David Roth from Defector here on ESPN Las Vegas. Coming up next, we'll jump back into the NFL as we get ready for the conference finals. As you probably have heard or have seen Friday night um, at the Lakers game, I want to apologize for my behavior. Um, you know, guys, I've preached for the last six and a half years, responsibility and accountability. And I take full responsibility for what transpired. It does not matter what Dylan Brooks said or how many times he said it. Me being the responsible person, me having the platform that I have and having so many people look up to me, I was wrong. I should have lowered the temperature in the arena. Instead, I turned the temperature up and I let it get out of hand. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. That apology took like 15 minutes. He apologized to everyone but us. It's true. All right, a couple questions on it. He says no matter how many, no matter what Dylan Brooks said, he shouldn't have fought back. Didn't Shannon Sharp start it? Yeah. Um, when Dylan Brooks uh, either guarded LeBron and LeBron missed, he said something to LeBron, uh, he didn't score on him or something like that. Then Shannon Sharp came with the smack talk to Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Yes. So what is he? He's like, no matter what Dylan Brooks said. Yeah. Like, no, he's. You, if you started, he started it, what are you talking it. about? He's the one who started the smack talk. Also, after this happened. Shannon Sharp gave the quote to ESPN about they didn't want this smoke. Well, I think and, uh, both can be true, that he apologizes <laughs> and they didn't want that smoke. 
But in but like ten minutes at whatever he gave that quote to ESPN during halftime, he was not feeling apologetic. Then he was no. still like, "I'm gonna beat them." Yeah, they don't want this smoke. So what? And it took him forty eight hours to be like, "Oh, maybe I should apologize for that." Did Fox so. make him? Did FS1 make my him next apologize? Question to you. Did uh, the uh, bosses come up to him and say, "Well"? Let's uh let's apologize. I mean, There's, I don't know if they expected I, the fifteen minute apology. If you're FS one though, you don't want Shannon Sharp no, to apologize. You want him to cut a promo. Right. Like you want, smoke. You want him to smoke. go, I'm not gonna apologize. Yeah. I'll you, take all of you. They don't want any smoke. That was phenomenal for their show. Is oh Shannon Sharp's trying to fight the Grizzlies? <laughs> their their only complaint was Shannon. Wait till the NFL playoffs are over and then try to fight the NBA team. <laughs> We've got enough content until middle of February. Just wait a little bit. And he could turn the whole thing into him just hating the Grizzlies for no reason. Yeah. Grizzlies are in the yeah. Western Conference Finals and here's He's Shannon a fan Sharp. And he, he doesn't like him yeah. for whatever reason. Would have been great. I'm surprised he apologized. Stay on the NBA. So the Kings, have you seen their light the beam stuff? No. Okay. Before is the this, season, is this back from Adelman days? Or is no, this no, new? no, no. Before this season, their owner was like, "We're gonna put this purple laser on top of our arena, beautiful new arena, and yep. when we win, we're gonna light it up, and it's this big purple beam that comes out of the arena, and and, shines that and, shines out of the arena." Yeah, I think it's on the roof, but yeah, shines okay. straight up, and he's like, "It goes into space." You can't even see where it ends with the human eye. Like, he's all excited about this. And I think at first, he got made fun of. I think at first, people were like, what? You're the kings. What are you talking about? You're going to put a, a beam on the arena? For the 10 wins? But the kings have been good. What the kings do is, like, uh, the one of the players of the games come over and does, like, an in-arena interview with what I assume is like their MC or something. Right. And they have this giant button that the player gets to hit. And the beam goes and lights they cut the to beam. outside. Yeah. And it goes <laughs> right. It's like a so, lightsaber. So the player gets to light the beam after they win a home game. And I think at first it got made fun of, but because the Kings have been good, light the beam has become oh. their rallying cry. I'm sur- I'm I'm sure there's even t-shirts. Oh. It's it's out of, con- of stuff. it is yeah. out of control yeah. at this point. He's making money off this thing. Where like last night cuz I had it on my TV and the the play-by-play announcer for the Kings said light the beam like 45 times. <laughs> it's on the the like video banner outside the arena after they win it just says light the beam and the post game show that the Kings had is also outside the arena and like it's Mike Bibby and whoever the the host is, and there's just a crowd of like 30 people yelling, light the beam behind them. <laughs> you don't even know what the guys on the TV are even saying half the time because it's just light the beam. So the Kings are good, and they've adopted this weird purple beam that shoots out of their arena, and that's their go-to rallying cry for the season. You knew they were young and they were trying to build. I just didn't, when they hired, when they hired him as the coach, I didn't think they would be that good i didn't know what, what mike brown would do as a coach so the interesting part is they traded tyrese halliburton last year and a lot of people were like that kid's good he's young why are you trading halliburton but they got domas sabonis mm-hmm. from the pacers Oof. and 
basically their logic was, well, we have De'Aaron Fox. He and Halliburton, there's too much of a skill overlap there. They're, they're going to do the same types of things. So let's move one of them and get a different type of player. And they got like the perfect pick and roll partner for De'Aaron Fox. And Sabonis is one of the best big man passers in the league. And those two have have probably been better than any, even somebody with the Kings could have expected because those two have been phenomenal this season to the point where they're in third. Again, the Sacramento Kings are in third place in the Western Conference right now. That's insane that the Sacramento Kings can be in third in the West. So Kings are good. The only issue, though, is the Western Conference standings are unbelievably packed. Like it's in, it's insane. The Kings are are the Kings are a total of five and a half games ahead of thirteen Portland. The three rest, to the rest is completely crazy. Three to thirteen the West is, completely crazy. is five and a half games. Six to eleven is one game. Six six you get into the playoffs in a seven game series. Eleven you don't even make the play in round. Look at the Clippers at six nine nine and a half nine and a half ten ten yeah ten. The West is so. I feel good if I'm the Blazers. The <laughs> they're close. The Kings are in third, but in the West right now, if you have a bad two weeks, you might be out of the playoff picture. Right. So, right. but only two games out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So it, it's it's an interesting conference, but the Kings are are a fun story at the moment. It's just. I at the end of the year, I'm curious to see where the seedings are and who team people actually think are the favorites. Right, oh, if in the West, yeah, Phoenix and Golden State get healthy, they might be playing teams that uh, could legitimately win the whole thing. Meanwhile, Sacramento might be the three, and nobody believes in them except for that purple beam. 